Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about systemic sclerosis. And if you want to follow along with written notes on this topic, you can follow along at zerodefinals.com slash systemic sclerosis or in the rheumatology section of the Zero to Finals medicine book. So let's get straight into it. The terms systemic sclerosis and scleroderma are often used interchangeably. Most patients who have scleroderma have systemic sclerosis. However, there is a localized version of scleroderma that only affects the skin and is not technically systemic sclerosis. Scleroderma translates directly to hardening of the skin. Systemic sclerosis is an autoimmune inflammatory and fibrotic connective tissue disease. The cause of the condition is unclear. It most notably affects the skin in all areas, but it also affects the internal organs. There's two main patterns of disease in systemic sclerosis. Limited cutaneous systemic sclerosis and diffuse cutaneous systemic sclerosis. First, let's talk about limited cutaneous systemic sclerosis. And this is the more limited version of systemic sclerosis. It used to be called Crest syndrome, and this forms a helpful mnemonic for remembering the features. The mnemonic is Crest. C is for calcinosis, and this is calcium deposits under the skin. R is for Raynaud's phenomenon. E is for esophageal dysmotility. S is for sclerodactyly. And T is for telangiectasia. And we'll go through what all of these mean just shortly. Next is diffuse cutaneous systemic sclerosis. And this includes all the features of Crest syndrome, plus it affects the internal organs, causing cardiovascular problems, particularly hypertension and coronary artery disease, lung problems, particularly pulmonary hypertension and pulmonary fibrosis, as well as kidney problems, particularly glomerulonephritis and a condition called scleroderma renal crisis. So let's go through all of these conditions one by one and explain what they mean. Firstly, scleroderma refers to hardening of the skin and this gives it appearance of shiny, tight skin without the normal skin folds that you would find in normal skin. These changes are most notable on the hands and on the face where you get tight, shiny skin. Next is sclerodactyly and this describes the skin changes in the hands. As the skin tightens around the joints of the fingers and the hands, it restricts the range of motion in the joint and reduces the function of the hands. As the skin hardens and tightens further, the fat pads on the fingers are lost. The skin can get so tight that it breaks and ulcerates and really struggles to heal and becomes a chronic problem. Next is telangiectasia, and these are dilated small blood vessels in the skin. They are tiny veins that have dilated and they have a fine, thready appearance. And you often see these on the cheeks or other areas affected by scleroderma. Calcinosis is where calcium deposits build up under the skin. And this is most commonly found on the fingertips. Raynaud's phenomenon is where the fingertips go completely white, then blue in response to even mild cold. It's caused by vasoconstriction of the vessels that supply the fingers and it commonly occurs without any associated systemic disease. However, it is a classical feature of systemic sclerosis. Esophageal dysmotility is caused by connective tissue dysfunction in the esophagus and this commonly associated with swallowing difficulties, acid reflux and esophagitis. 
Systemic and pulmonary hypertension is caused by connective tissue dysfunction in the systemic and the pulmonary arterial systems. And systemic hypertension can be worsened by the renal impairment. Pulmonary fibrosis can occur in severe systemic sclerosis and this presents with gradual onset dry cough and shortness of breath as the lung tissue becomes harder and stiffer and less able to expand and take air in. The final feature to talk about is scleroderma renal crisis and this is an acute condition where there is a combination of severe hypertension and acute renal failure. Next let's talk about the autoantibodies associated with systemic sclerosis and there's multiple autoantibodies in the condition and they're helpful for predicting the extent of the disease and also which organs will be affected. It's not really worth memorising all of them unless you want to be a rheumatologist but the ones to remember are below. Firstly, anti-nuclear antibodies, or ANA, are positive in most patients who have systemic sclerosis. And these are not specific to systemic sclerosis because you also get positive ANAs in other autoimmune conditions, such as autoimmune hepatitis and SLE. Anti-centromere antibodies are the most associated with limited cutaneous systemic sclerosis. And anti-SCL70 antibodies are most associated with diffuse cutaneous systemic sclerosis. They're also associated with more severe disease. So the two to really remember for systemic sclerosis are anti-centromere antibodies and anti-SCL70 antibodies. Next let's talk about nail fold capilloscopy, which is a technique to magnify and examine the area of the skin where the base of the fingernail meets the skin of the finger, and this is called the nail fold. This allows us to examine the health of the peripheral capillaries. Abnormal capillaries, avascular areas, and microhemorrhages can indicate systemic sclerosis. It's useful to support a diagnosis of systemic sclerosis and also to investigate patients who have Raynaud's phenomenon to exclude systemic sclerosis. Now remember that patients with primary Raynaud's don't have any associated other conditions and they'll have normal nail fold capillaries whereas patients with secondary Raynaud's due to systemic sclerosis will have these abnormal capillaries showing avascular areas and microhemorrhages. So how do we establish a diagnosis? Well there's diagnostic criteria that come from the American College of Rheumatology and the European League Against Rheumatism, which were published in 2013. And these criteria involve meeting a number of criteria for clinical features, antibodies, and positive nail fold capilloscopy. It's not worth remembering the exact criteria, but just being aware that there are criteria for the diagnosis. So how do we manage patients who have systemic sclerosis? Well, they'll be managed and followed up by a specialist multidisciplinary team in a rheumatology department. Steroids and immunosuppressants are usually started with diffuse disease and when there's complications like pulmonary fibrosis. But there's no standardised or proven treatment for systemic sclerosis and there's ongoing research to try and find the most effective ways of treating the condition. There's a number of very important non-medical components to management and this involves avoiding smoking, gentle skin stretching regimes to maintain the range of motion in the skin, regular emollients, Avoiding cold, which could trigger the Raynaud's phenomenon. Physiotherapy to maintain healthy joints. And occupational therapy to find adaptations to daily living to help to cope with the limitations of the condition.
Medical management focuses on treating the symptoms and the complications. A calcium channel blocker called nifedipine is often used to treat symptoms of Raynaud's phenomenon. Anti-acid medications such as amuprazole, lanzoprazole and ranitidine, as well as pro-motility medications like metoclopramide can be used to treat the gastrointestinal symptoms like acid reflux and esophageal dysmotility. Analgesia or pain medication can be used for joint pain. Antibiotics can be used to treat skin infections. Antihypertensive medications can be used to treat the hypertension and usually we use ACE inhibitors. We can also treat the pulmonary artery hypertension and provide supportive management for pulmonary fibrosis. So thanks for listening to this episode on systemic sclerosis. A big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing this podcast. It wouldn't be possible to maintain this podcast without his hard work and reliability. If you found this podcast helpful and you want written notes on this topic and all the other podcast episode topics, head over to Amazon and pick up a copy of the Zero to Finals Medicine book. This has detailed and concise notes on 10 specialties in medicine and it's designed to specifically contain all the key facts and guidelines you need for your medical exams. If you don't fancy picking up a copy of the book, don't worry, you can find all the notes as well as videos, illustrations and questions completely free on the Zero to Finals website at zerotofinals.com. And either way, I hope you tune in for the next episode, which will be on polymyalgia rheumatica.